What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 177 on this Thursday, March 9th, 2023. Josh Callaway in Oklahoma City, Brian Chapman and more, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Oh, man. Who's... <laughs> I wanted to start with men's basketball and just say rest in peace. Read the obit. Thank God it's over. All Sooners. Yeah, it's kind of a... It's kind of reset point. I, I was listening to Tanner Grove's press conference and him talking about gratitude and you know his expectations and he's met friends, lifelong relationships, and all that stuff. And I felt I felt bad for him. You know they deserve better than that, but man, they just can't find the bucket. They can't win games. So here we are, the night after the uh, presumably the season is over. Right? Uh, they lost to Oklahoma State in the Big Twelve tournament last night, and I feel bad for those guys. I do. They deserve better. Yeah, I mean, you feel bad when the conversation we have is, well, they haven't quit. They're still trying. They're just the 10th best team in a 10-team conference. So uh, we'll get to that later. We promise. A lot of football first, then we'll do the basketball. Yeah, no no kidding. Uh, nothing personal, obviously, toward any of those guys, but we'll have to lay it out there. It was, uh, it was, it was a year. It was a, definitely a year. Uh, for that program and that team. We'll figure out where they go next. Uh, like Ryan said, a little bit later, we do have some football to talk about, of course, as always, in these here parts before we get there. I think the big talk this week uh, certainly revolves around the Board of Regents meeting that was held, whatever day that was, Tuesday, I think it was. This week's been a blur. Who was there in attendance? A lot of things to take away uh, from that and this week with you know facility renovations, coaching extensions, things like that. So we'll pull it apart. We'll talk about what stands out to us uh, from this week there at Oklahoma. Let's do the facility part of it first. I think this can, we can kind of tie it into the basketball conversation a little bit. Let's. I'll, I'll read off the things that were approved uh, by the Board of Regents this week, and then you guys can jump in, whatever jumped out to you pretty much. $175 million in football operations facilities. $75 million in Student Athlete Success Center, so that obviously goes to all sports. $9 million in the LNC renovations toward the locker room. $45 million for baseball improvements and expansion. $48 million rounding up for softball improvements and expansion. So, oh, you're throwing some money around here, which is obviously you need to do. SEC coming up, well-established. Oklahoma needs to improve in a lot of areas in all sports, really, before that move happens, or at least in the early stages of that move. What jumped out to you when you guys saw these numbers? What what was the eye catcher? Yeah, golf's getting a little bit of money thrown their way. Tennis is getting a little bit more money. Gymnastics is getting a little bit more money. So everybody across the board is getting a little bit. So, or at least a little bit. Football's getting a lot, obviously. Um, what stood out to me was I had uh, you know I was in in on the conversation with Joe Castiglione for a little over ten minutes, almost fifteen minutes. And you know what, guys? Not one time did he ask me for my advice on what to do with bas the basketball arena. Now, I, I just was like, Joe, I'm right here for you. Just let me know what you need and I'll give it to you. I got some suggestions. I don't know how good they are. I don't know how feasible they are. Um, but they're going to throw nine and a half million dollars at Lloyd Noble. Not the seating area, not the concessions area, not anywhere, but just where the team hangs out. So why do you do that? You do that because you need better recruits. You need to show that area, that new area with new fancy technology and lights and all this. You need to show that to your recruits so you can get better players, so you can win games, so you can get fans, right? Okay, so that makes sense. 
But if he had asked me, if he had said, Hoof, come here, I want to ask you something. What do you think we should do with basketball? You know what I would tell him? And I know this is like, this is kind of off the beaten path. This is kind of out there from left field a little bit. But I just love, love, love the location of McCaslin Fieldhouse. Hire that firm that, that Gary Sparks' firm that uh, raised the roof at Gallagher Iba and raise the roof, increase your seating, put in some amenities at McCaslin. Last I looked, it's a beautiful building. It's a perfect location. Um, seats about 5,000 right now, so you could get that up to 6,500, 7,500, whatever you want to do, maybe 8,000 if you want to push that. Add some concessions, add some facilities, add some restrooms. It's going to be a little bit of a build. I know that's not a popular idea. That's my favorite. What would I do realistically? What's probably most feasible? How about get a like a backhoe in Lloyd Noble and lower the ground, lower the playing surface, lower the floor by about 10 feet and get the fans that are so far away from the arena, from the floor, get them down, get them closer to the floor, increase the atmosphere, charge that place up, turn that upper concourse into a like a loge boxes or suites, something like that. Bring some money in that place, maybe get some corporate donors. I don't know. But instead, what they're going to do, it sounds like they're pushing for that University Park North. Is that what it's called? University North Park? University North, North Park. Yeah. They're going to do that. That's up by Robinson and Tecumseh, up in that area of town. It's like five, six miles from campus. I don't see student engagement landing at, uh, at the new facility if they team with the city of Norman, Cleveland County, to build it north of town. I just don't see it. To be great for me, that's cuts my commute to the Lloyd Noble Center in half. So let's make that happen. Yeah. Uh, I think they should actually play in a park until Porter Moser recruits a big. That's the punishment. You don't get the Lloyd Noble Center. You don't get McCaslin. You just have to play outside in a park. And whoever rolls up, that's who gets to watch. The double uh, rim and the chain net. Yes. Yes, that's what that team deserves right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, McCaslin would be fun. It would be really cool. It would be fun. I think you saw with the Moody Center um, – there are different numbers out there based on attendance for concerts versus basketball, things like that. But Texas, when they moved from the Irwin Center to the Moody Center, they went from about 16,500, 16,5 down to about 10. Again, that's sifting through media guides. I think I hope that's correct. Um, this is the trend in college basketball right now. Baylor, the brand new facility they're about to open, is going to be smaller capacity. Why? Smaller capacity, but so you can fill it. It's loud and make sure everyone has great seats right on top of the action, especially, especially in the state of Oklahoma. Like everyone wants to yell at the clouds about Oklahoma attendance. Guess what? OSU, it's not as bad, but like Oklahoma State has also struggled with attendance since uh, this little team called the Thunder came to town because OU basketball tickets, like my mom and dad still live in Norman and they go through this conversation every OU home game. Do we want to pay X amount to go watch OU probably lose to Kansas or and sit in crappy seats high in the Lloyd Noble Center? Or do we want to get on StubHub right now and for $15 a pop go watch the Thunder play? And I can see professional basketball players who – Josh Giddy, that's a ton of fun, stuff like that. That's the conversation a lot of people are having. So you need to – Bring the capacity down. Get the fans right on top of it so you can create that rowdy atmosphere. Because even when that Alabama game, which was as loud as I've heard the Lloyd Noble Center in a long time, 
it, it would have been even better if the students that did show up were like right on top of the action instead of just spread out, things like that. I think that that would be much better. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, there's also, when you say, why are you putting money into Lloyd Noble Center if, if, if you're looking for other options? Well, remember the Griffin Performance Center is right there. The men's and women's practice facilities are tacked on. So I think that's why you keep seeing money being put into not the actual like the Lloyd Noble Center arena that fans see, but kind of up the tunnel and down back there. Because whether you move to McCaskill the Arena or whatever, I, I doubt that suddenly you're going to want to abandon those practice facilities. I mean, they spent a ton of money on the Griffin Performance Center. So interesting to kind of see that. Um, I think everyone's just really excited to see what the new football facility is going to look like, the two practice fields, stuff like that. It's, it's going to be a really big undertaking and something that Brent Venables and Tad Thurnipsey immediately came in and said, We've got some other eyes. Dad's been at Alabama and Clemson. Brent's been at Clemson. We need this to compete if you're going to recruit against the SEC. And Brent Venables successfully recruited against the SEC as an ACC school at Clemson. Will they still practice at the rugby fields? That's the question. Whenever you get the new practice fields in there, because Brent Venables seemed to be pretty uh, uh, partial to the rugby fields. What did he say last year? It's hot and it's far away. Basically, it was just like it sucks. Yeah. Out the, there. Ground was, the ground was harder than the ground was hard, yeah. Uh, don't want to get these guys getting too soft. I, I imagine they'll still go out to the rugby fields. Yeah, as far as I mean, we all know Lloyd Noble Center. It is a dump. I mean, it's dated. You know, it's it's not. That's no new ground being covered there. I do think the McCallison Fieldhouse thing is interesting. Um, I've never been there. I've only ever seen pictures, but they have played there before. I've seen. I've been to McCallison Fieldhouse, but not for a basketball game. I should say. I've only seen pictures, though. They have played there before. I can distinctly think of, like, one photo of Buddy Heel doing a layup at McCall's. I don't know if that was an exhibition game or what that was. But it looked cool. It did look cool. Um, so maybe that could work if you add some seating. And it is a great location. It's literally, if you've never been to campus or anything, it's, like, 20 steps from the football stadium. It's right there. So that would be cool. Um, I don't think that the University North Park thing is a horrible idea, though, either. And I do agree with Hoob that the student part of it um, – Probably wouldn't be great out there because it is far. It's like probably at least 10 or 15 minute drive to get to that other side of town from campus. But it would help you a lot to Ryan's kind of he made a joke, but it was a point of all the people come from OKC. It's like basically in OKC almost at that point, or it's like almost in more essentially like it's it's much more centrally located for like the metro. It's much easier to get to. And if it's bigger and nicer, that's a very nice area. There's lots of restaurants and stuff over there. So I think because Lloyd Noble Center is by nothing, you know, it's right. kind of just out in the middle of nowhere by nothing, <laughs> you know, so it's middle of nowhere. So I do think that there will be some benefits there if you're kind of willing to sacrifice like, OK, students, you know, the student section is it's it's it is what it is. We'll live with it if we can get, you know, a better arena, a better area kind of a thing. So there's lots of options. But at the end of the day, Lloyd Noble Center, it, oh, you need a new arena. At a, at a certain point, OU fans will go if the product is good. The product's not any good right now. When the product is good, people go to Lloyd Noble. But it still doesn't mean that they shouldn't have a better arena at the end of the day and try to get better players in there and all that. At a certain point, you just need new facilities. And that, that's what that team needs right now. And well, Go ahead, Brian. I, I think the student thing's a little overrated because when basketball plays, it's cold outside, right? It, that's just the time of year. It's not like it's, uh, hey, you go two steps over from your dorm room and you're there. And once you're a freshman, you're not really living on campus anymore for the most part. And so if OU, like if that's the issue, OU, Porter Moser, he's shown the student engagement. They can 
bus people from fraternity and sorority row over to the arena and back if that becomes a big issue everyone on campus just about a ton of people have cars like it's a very car friendly campus environment it's not like this is georgia tech in downtown atlanta where you're on this little spot of land in norman and no one has a car you don't leave the parking garage ever anything like that like i i think that's a little overblown and like you said josh if they win and they're fun I think people will go regardless. People will get there. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add to this. Parking on campus, especially around the football stadium, is not the easiest thing. Driving through Norman to get to that side of campus, if you're coming from Oklahoma City, if you're coming from I-35, not the easiest thing. So I, I fully acknowledge that. It's going to be tough to draw the the grown-up crowd, the the boosters, the ticket buyers, things like that, to, to get in your stadium but uh, having it on campus, uh, what Joe said was interesting when I asked him the question about student engagement and, and you know, trying to, uh, you're moving it from 1.1 to 1.3 miles from the football stadium, right? You're moving it from Lloyd Noble to five miles north of the stadium, which is, as Josh said, 15, 16 minutes in, in decent traffic to get across town. He said 85%, they took a survey, 85% of the students who go to the games drive their cars. Well, yeah, of course they do because the parking lot, the the stadium is way out in the middle of nowhere, and the parking lot's wide open. It's easy to get to. It's easy to drive down, you know, Jenkins and and get to where you need to go. Driving across town, and expecting those eighty five percent of the people to to take their cars and and park it way out at some, you know, shopping shopping and entertainment and and bar district where they're probably going to have to pay for parking. Because the city of Norman's going to have its handout when this thing gets open and gets running. The county's going to have its handout. People are going to have to pay. You've lost the students. You've lost the students. And guys, I looked it up. Cameron Indoor Stadium. Duke University has a capacity of 9,300. I mean, we think about that place in one of the, as one of the cathedrals, yeah. right? And we look at uh, Fog Allen, which has a capacity over 18,000. It's one of the cathedrals of college basketball, but it's an old, we've been in it. It's an old, it's been renovated a hundred times. It's musty. It's dank up in the corners. We know, we all know this because that's where we sit when we go there. It's one of the, it's one of the places, Cameron, uh, fog. It's one of those places that's a destination to go to. Lloyd Noble is the opposite of that. People are trying their best to stay out of Lloyd Noble. So I just think it's time. I think it's time to start rethinking basketball at OU. And the last point, this we center this conversation around uh, the men's basketball program, things like that. Jenny Broadcheck, the women, those tip times are usually an hour earlier. 6 p.m. is a really common tip time. And I know that Jenny Broadcheck markets that program to families. The student conversation is a negative of moving it a little bit north. The family metro conversation for the women, an actual fun product that is winning basketball games right now. Uh, I think that we might be talking about two different crowds because I think the women would benefit greatly from uh, moving that thing a little bit closer to the metro area just because it it's easier to get to for anyone not in South Norman and earlier tip times, all that stuff. Uh, it that little commute stuff matters a whole lot. And I'll just add this too. I don't think you're going to be, if you put it on I-35, make it easy to get to right off the highway, you're not going to be drawing a big, huge crowd from Oklahoma city or, you know, more or, or the Metro area. You're just not, I mean, like you said, Ryan, at the beginning, um, there's, there's thunder dollars. There's so many other options right now. There's your 65, 75 inch TV sitting on your wall. 
you, everybody's got ESPN plus now, right? So it's just like, you know, you're, you're putting it up there, hoping you're going to build it and hoping they will come. I don't know that, you know, ba- OU basketball has ever been in a situation, even when they're going to final fours, it's tough to fill that place. Yeah, no, it's a good point by Ryan. I mean, if it's a six o'clock tip on a midweek and you work a nine to five, you cannot get there by tip. It, it's just not going to happen. Um, whenever they have six o'clock tips, I leave from my house in OKC at like four because I know it's going to take an hour to get there. So that is a good point. And uh, there are pros and cons to a lot of things. Like I said earlier, at the end of the day, if the product is good. People will find a way to get there. Um, and the product's not good right now for the men. For the men. Um, we'll see what they can do. We'll talk about the uh, their going out in a blaze of glory last night uh, a little bit later. They went out with a thud. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. Um, doing also, just to tie up the Board of Regents thing too, those softball and baseball numbers are nice. Uh, you know, high 40 millions. Uh, obviously, softball got the new stadium coming. So you add on to that, you know, is is nice to see, obviously. And then baseball, too. Just that's that's a that's a high number for baseball. Yeah. Shout out to it them. Um, you know, obviously, baseball There's guy myself. A couple of things about those yeah. dollar figures, Josh, that I wanted to just brush on real quick. Um, the, the 47 million, 48 million, whatever it is, I think it might be up to 49. I think I saw earlier this week for Love's Field. Um, they're they're well past the halfway point of that. They've they've secured the funding for that. Money's coming in. They're building it. Everything's going to be fine. So that's not really like this. That kind of surprised me that that was included in the agenda on the Regents meeting. Like we're we're going to try and approve this the the spending on this money. That's already been done, and, and it's been out there for a long time. Baseball is in a fundraising situation right now. They're in a different deal where they're they've identified what they want to spend but they haven't identified where the money's going to come from. They're getting 3 million here and 1 million there. And then, you know, 500,000 here and there a little bit different situation. So just wanted to throw that out there as well. A, a clarification point and uh, forgive me. I, we've consumed so much and this week's been a blur, but when Joe Siglione went on with Toby Rowland on KREF and did his kind of 30 to 45 minute where, where he joined Toby one thing that he talked about as well is that like you could add nothing to the plan. And over the last year, because of just economic stuff going on, interest rates are as high as ever, things like that. The cost to just build things has gone yeah. up a lot. And, and so how much like on the Love's Field front, you mentioned it's already been approved. Ground's being broken. If you drive by there, you can see a big hole in the ground where they're starting to build the foundations and stuff. I'm How much of that's kind of the this is the new total for the same project because costs are just higher than they were two years ago, things like that. I I think that was part of it a little bit as well. I actually asked Joe that question, Ryan. I asked him specifically, how do you, what challenges do you face? uh, What hurdles that weren't, weren't here that you didn't face uh, just two, five, two to five years ago with the, in this inflationary market, in this inflationary economy. And he kind of took that question and steered it toward uh, NIL and what student athletes are looking for and, and how they're, comp- he said competition is one of the big change, one of the big challenges that they have right now, competition for those donation dollars, because there are people right now who are donating to the facilities and there are people who have traditionally donated to the facilities who are now saying, I want to donate to these student athletes. I want to donate to an, to the, an NIL package or something like that. So that money that OU previously used, you know, and there was a lot of donations over the past 20 years, previously used for 
uh, building facilities is now going straight into the athlete's pocket. OU has to come up with other creative ways to get that money secured. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see how that all uh, shakes out. But uh, some certainly some notable numbers there uh, from the Board of Regents on the facility renovation side of it, tying back into football, the football coaching side of it. Uh, lots of raises and extensions and things like that. Approved. There's a lot to comb through here. Um, so rather than read them all off, I guess I would just turn it over to you guys and, and who obviously you were there. But in terms of what, what stuck out here on the coaching side of things, Jeff Levy getting a nice little pay bump. Um, they all did pretty much. Essentially, every kind of got a little extension and stuff like that. Assistant coach salary pool went up, things like that. What, what jumped out on that side of things as Oklahoma, you know, finalized their staff? Emmett Jones got his contract finalized. Stuff like that. He got a raise, as you might guess, from what he was making at Texas Tech. Um, what, what stuck out, I guess, on that side of things? Yeah, so Emmett Jones uh, is up to, what is it, $565 million? Uh, five or $65 million. Holy cow. What a, what a land! What a deal he landed. <laughs> that would be quite a contract. Yeah, I wonder what their recruiting returns on a wide receiver. Could have built a new stadium for that. Uh, no, two, <laughs> 285 base salary, 265, including his personal services. So whatever that is, 500, 565. I thought it was like 550 or something, 560. Yeah, thousand, yeah. uh, not million, thousand. Um, and he got a contract through 2025, January of 2025, so the 24th season. Um, the, only two guys got raises. I thought this was interesting. You, first of all, you say, wait a minute, OU, OU coaching staff got raises? Yeah, kind of. DeMarco Murray, um, his base salary stays at four hundred, right? He didn't get a raise, but they almost doubled his um, outside income from unrestricted private sources, right? Um, fundraising, promotional PR, all that stuff. So his personal services part of his contract went up from one fifteen to two fifteen. So he's now making 615000 a year, DeMarco Murray is. He was underpaid to begin with. He's done some unbelievable things in the on the recruiting trail. So he's earned that money. He's earned a raise because of his ability to recruit. The other one that got a raise was interesting to me. I didn't, I didn't realize his personal services were so low, first of all, and I didn't realize he had done such a great job in recruiting. I mean, clearly he has. Uh, he's brought in some guys, but I think all of them have to to a large degree, especially guys like Jay Belay and Jeff Levy. But uh, it's Brandon Hall. Brandon Hall saw his personal services part of his contract base stays the same, of course, but uh, his base is three hundred. His personal services go from fifteen thousand a year, which is, to me was shockingly low, to now sixty five. So he got a little bit of a raise uh, to of uh, fifty thousand dollars. In this deal, nobody else got raises. Now, Lebby got an increase that was already written into his contract last year, so he's up a hundred thousand, up to one point nine. And then Ted Roof also had a uh, fifty thousand written into his contract last year when he signed. Automatic bump, and he'll get another one next year if he's still here. But in terms of raises, nobody got a raise. Two guys got new personal services extensions or or additions. Uh, Joe John Finley got 165000 of his contract reclassified to something else. So they just took money out of one pot and put it in another. No big deal there. Um, but everybody else, all they got was extensions. And a couple of guys got through twenty through January 26, the rest of them through January 25. So I will say this. 
This is the time of year, fellas, where we examine what Bob Stoops' team did. We examine what Lincoln Riley's team did. And then the raises come out in March and we assess and we say, did they deserve a raise? What did they do? They only went eight and five this year. Why would they give them raises? Every year those guys got raises. Six and seven, no raises. I think that makes sense. No, I, absolutely. No one on that staff was deserving of a raise last year. It was, I mean, much like when basketball this year, we keep having to bring up the 1964-65 season as first time since this or that. Uh, everybody take a drink. If you heard 1998 mentioned it, you know what I mean? That, that, that was the measuring stick for Oklahoma football last season. That is not the measuring stick for anyone to get any raises. And especially with the money being sunk into the football facility and, and, and all that stuff, that's the program's raise this year. You got that big recruiting piece, that crown jewel, that whatever you want to call it. Uh, until you win games on the field, you, no one's getting those raises unless, like you said, Hoove, it was stuff that was already scheduled in your contract, the, the bumps that, that get put up there. So um, it makes a ton of sense, and it, I think it all folds into why – at least for me, I don't know how you guys feel like there's a big pressure for Oklahoma to win more games and show that development on the field this year. Not a, oh my gosh, they're a six and seven football team. Why are you suddenly picking them? No, it's not that. It's because you took three of their losses off because of scheduling and you added three group of five opponents, right? Like Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, those are group of five rosters. They will be group of five rosters for two or three more seasons until they can kind of recruit in the Big 12, all that stuff. Uh, there is no excuse, none, regardless of it. all the portal guys. They're they're 100% staff evaluations. Everything of that, everyone who stayed didn't get processed out. That is why there is so much pressure on this team to get to maybe nine, ten wins because the schedule is so soft on paper. Yeah, no, Ryan, I agree. I, not that, you know, it's uh, it's to say that, you know, another season that's not what they want, they're going to just clean house or anything. But it is a little bit of a message to, to everybody, kind of, you know, last year wasn't what we wanted and it needs to turn around. So I, I agree with kind of that notion. It puts a little more pressure on them. We talk about that a lot. You know, the schedule is friendly and they should be set up to be better. And I, I don't think anybody's going into next year thinking Oklahoma needs to run the table or anything, but – Nine, ten wins needs to be the expectation, at least, uh, right, going to next year. Who you talked to Joe C. there for yep. a while, and people can watch on allcenters.com. Anything else that stuck out from what Joe C. had to say? I know you guys, you guys were able to talk to him for a little while. Yeah. Um, well, what else did he have that, that was uh, of note before we move on to some other stuff? It was stuff? good. Uh, I recommend watching the video, All Sooners. Um, just check out the uh, watch video with Joe Castiglione. He, he revealed a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, my question specifically was about the the football operations building facility. Um, we've gotten a um, little bit of nebulous information in terms of what exactly it's going to be. Uh, athletic training, nutrition, support. Okay. They've kind of already got some of the best in the country at, at a lot of that, right? Um, they're going to do some practice. They're going to build some practice stuff there. They're going to build full-size practice facilities. Uh, it's going to be something that other athletes can use, but it's going to be football centric. One of the big things, one of the reasons they need this space is because when Lincoln Riley left and when Brent Venables came in, Brent said, one of the things I need guys is a support staff, a legit big time 
not just power five support staff. I need a support staff that's going to compete, help us compete for national championships. So they hired a bunch of dudes. They hired a bunch of people in this support staff, a bunch of former players. There's how many dozen former players now? Up to, is it up to almost 30 former players who are now working in the facility and whether it's the sole mission or uh, strength and conditioning, fitness, training, nutrition, whatever. The, the support staff has gotten like quadrupled in size. And so where are you putting those? Where are you putting all these people, right? That's one of the reasons that they had to build this. It's student athlete centered, of course, but they've got more office space now in there for the 40, 45, however many, what the number, whatever the number is, uh, a support staff assistance that Brent Venables has hired. So the number, the number of offices in the Switzer center was fine for Bob Stoops, which is what they built it for. It was fine for Lincoln Riley because he didn't get to really bring on too many guys. Brent Venables quadruples his support staff. It's not fine for Brent Venables, so they have to move him over there and have comfortable space for all those coaches and all those analysts and all those GAs and all those assistants. And so that's a big part of it. Uh, This is just what you get when you have fresh eyes on the program for the first time in a long time, right? Because 99, Bob Stoops comes in. Oklahoma's just a machine. He hands over to Lincoln Riley. Well, guess what? Lincoln Riley had been at Texas Tech in East Carolina. Lincoln Riley had not seen what Alabama's doing, what Georgia's doing, how SEC programs run, right? And so uh, you had that going. Brent Venables has, again, recruited against the SEC at, at the ACC. He's been to a different spot. Clemson does things differently than Oklahoma. Doesn't make either one right, wrong, or the other. It's just uh, Clemson had a more modern injection because they had to catch up at a later time than when Bob Stoops came in 99, right? That's just time, all that stuff. And, and so I, I think you're seeing that it's a realization of, oh, crap, we're a little behind and heading to the SEC. We need, we need to get the the wheels moving just based off where things are going. Because, I mean, you guys remember last year ahead of the season, Georgia wins a national championship and then announced that a new $80 million facility for Kirby Smart and all those guys. So um, it, it's just, that's life in college sports. It's still a facilities arms race, whether it's putting money into the actual stadium, whether it's putting money into facilities that fans don't see that help with recruiting. That's what it takes to continue to. Yeah. That's what it takes to continue to grind at the top. And that's why having your payout that will eventually be doubled by the SEC based off it here in a couple of years, based off what the Big 12 is getting right now, that all helps. That all helps. Yeah, keep in mind, too, what you said is right. Um, Brent Venables was defensive coordinator of an amazing defense on two national championship teams at Clemson that won the title in the middle of this Alabama dynasty, right? In the middle of this SEC dynasty, it was Clemson who rose up twice and won the national title. And uh, played for two others, I think. So, uh, just the just yeah, getting those fresh eyes, like you said, on the program, um, a, a perspective from here's how it's done, here's how you win national titles. Uh, Joe Stiglione and the people who donate the money to the university are having to reassess and say, wait a minute, we what we have here is awesome. We need more. We need bigger. We need better. Hundred percent. 100%. It makes sense. We'll see if uh, Oklahoma can get there in the near future. But they seem to be in, you know, going in the right direction. But we'll uh, we'll see how it continues to go in the uh, years ahead in the Venables tenure. All right, we'll take a break here. We'll come back. Let's talk about the Oklahoma receivers room a little bit. Kind of pull that apart. Who are going to be the guys who are going to step up? Also, DJ Graham, 
What is he? We're going to talk about that a little bit more as well. Also wrap up the NFL scouting combine and Indy. Some guys made some money. We'll talk about that next as well. Coming up here on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, it's John Hoover from my friends at Trade Pros. Spring's right around the corner, and you're going to need to make sure your air conditioning system is running right. So right now, through the end of March, Trade Pros is offering a $25 spring tune-up. Now, that's a $100 value, but this month only, $25. The spring tune-up is a comprehensive preventive maintenance check. They're going to do a full system diagnostic. They're going to check your Freon levels. They're going to make sure that your amperage on your system is where it's supposed to be. Heating and air systems can be complicated, and you want to know that your electronics are running at peak efficiency as the weather gets warmer. So just call Michael at TradePros, 405-593-1585, or go to TradeProsOKC.com. I think it's time to call TradePros On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan's at underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover. I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two. Last week, Emmett Jones, who we just talked about, new wide receivers coach for the Oklahoma Sooners, comes over from Texas Tech. He tweeted this, High school coaches always walk the halls or hang out in the gym to find potential players. Look what the football God placed in my room, and it's the clip of DJ Graham and that insane interception he had against Nebraska in 2021. Now, obviously, we've talked about DJ Graham making the move from cornerback to wide receiver, but we haven't really, you know, talked about, is he going to be any good at wide receiver next year? Like, how much of an impact is this guy actually going to have? Dylan Gabriel also shouted him out on Twitter as well. So it seems like there's a little bit of a hype train going uh, for him, you know, at least uh, somewhat going into next year. We know we can catch. We saw that we were all at that Nebraska game. We know we can catch. What do you guys make of DJ Graham as wide receiver option here coming up? And what do you, you know, hope to see from him in the spring? Obviously coming up here in a couple weeks. He's kind of one of the uh, bigger enigmas on the team, I think, kind of going into next year a little bit. Yeah, he's, he's a talented receiver. He's got good hands. Um, and you know, he was as a prospect, four-star wide receiver, right? Uh, two-way guy, Lincoln Riley wanted him to play wide receiver. Um, Alex Grinch said, please, please, please let me, let me have him for, for defense. And Grinch won. Uh, ultimately he's back at receiver. He'll be worth watching this spring, but I'm really hesitant right now to, you know, pencil him in and say, um, top two on the depth chart at the X or the Z or something like that. I just, He's got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Other guys have been playing this position for a number of years already ahead of him. Um, but there's there's opportunity, you know, with people gone and and young people coming up and Drake Stoops and Jalil Farouk as your top two guys, basically, um, coming back. There's opportunity. He's got a chance. I just, I'm not 100% sold that he's going to be able to take advantage of that chance just because of the amount of talent that's around him. Yeah, I look at DJ Graham from two sides of this coin. The first one is, this is going to sound silly, but at the spring game, I would like to see him get snaps at at wide receiver. Like that's step one, right? Because he changed in the middle of the year. There was the the number situation of him being the exact same number as Braden Willis. So for him to get on the field, they're going to have to either change his number mid-year or option B, which is what we saw, which was DJ Graham just did not factor in at all, which is fine for a guy switching positions mid-year, all that stuff. 
So for me, but before you put any expectation on it, it's like I, I would like to see him in that rotation, in that rotation to start with. So that's going to be the first thing in who's right. It's just so hard to project because uh, of the unknown that it is. But on the other side of it, too, it, is there opportunity? Absolutely. But last year, how many guys really played? It was, for the most part, four. Yeah. It was Marvin Mims, Jalil Farouk, Drake Stoops, Theo Weiss. Theo Weiss got the starting nod the first half of the year after Texas. Stoops replaced Weiss. And for a majority of that, it was Farouk, Mims, Stoops, Willis, Gray. That was your skill group on the field every snap, it felt like. So we'll have to see if that was a Jeff Levy, I only use this many guys, and a top-down call. If that was the Damian Washington filtering up that he really only had the trust in, in this number of guys and, and – he hadn't had the entire offseason to help develop, obviously, as, as he stepped in right at the start of fall camp. So it'll be interesting to see if, if Emmett Jones has a hard, stead philosophy of I want to have seven or eight guys that are rotating in, and he's able to kind of implement that on Jeff Levy. That'll be a lot more opportunity for DJ Graham. But if not, regardless of if DJ Graham's great, whatever, we may not see him just because of the speed that Oklahoma ran at. Jeff Levy did not rotate a ton at wide receiver at all outside of saying, hey, Gavin Freeman, come in for these two specifically designed gadget plays or, or come in for this or that. Or when you would see the, like at TCU, when Jane Gibson dropped that pass, it was the the second string wide receivers came in for three plays. They didn't get a first down there off the field, not to be heard from again. Well, the things we know about DJ Graham are, like we just said, he can obviously catch. He has hands. Uh, there's a lot more to it than just, just that, obviously. But he can catch. We know he works hard. He's a very uh, smart kid. We've got to talk to him a handful of times. And, you know, we, we know that he's very intellectual and things like that. He's very well-spoken, you know, and, and things of that nature. And we know that he has a passion for offense because Brent Venable said as much, said his heart was on offense whenever he talked about making the uh, the position change or the side of the ball change. So I have no idea if it's going to work out or not. It is fun to keep up with and watch. Um, and I will be looking out for him that first spring practice that we're allowed to attend, which will probably be here in just a couple of weeks, I imagine. I'm going to definitely go look at him. How does he look on his routes and, and things like that? He, he's kind of a, an interesting one to watch. And because of that, as we expound this, conversation out to the wide receiver room as a whole because there is a, a bit of a an opening uh, here obviously like who Ryan said you pretty much had four receivers last year well two of them are gone Marvin Mims in the NFL we're talking about him in just a second and Theo Weiss is over at Missouri now Farouk is back I think everybody thinks he's going to assume the throne as number one Drake Stoops is Drake Stoops you know what you're getting from him he's going to be reliable he'll be out there a lot of snaps but then the rest of it is kind of up for grabs and they have guys Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson, Angel Anthony comes in from Michigan, DJ Graham, <laughs> Gavin Freeman. There's guys, but who is it going to be uh, in your guys' mind that is going to assert themselves and be that other guy uh, or two uh, that Oklahoma will will need this year? Um, you know, I think a lot of people like the young guys, Gibson and Anderson, but we haven't seen them yet. Same kind of goes for Angel Anthony. You know, I mean, who who is it in your guys' mind? I'm going to go with uh, Andrew Anthony. Um as a, as a transfer from Michigan, who's played a lot of big time football, had a 93 yard touchdown at Michigan State. He knows what rivalries are about. That was on the road, so he knows what intense atmospheres are about. Uh, but then you could also say Jaden Gibson, who had a what was it 93 also yard 95 yard touchdown last year in the spring game. 75 thousand people there watching yeah. that. So Michael Bowens. Michael Bowens was the thrower. That's right. So. Um, <laughs> 
I, I really think the the athletic talent is there. Um, I just give the edge to Anthony for his experience. Yeah, the, the guy I would default to is actually one that is not currently there that we're not talking about a ton yet because we haven't got to talk to him as part of our big kind of February media day. But Jaquay's Petaway, the, the true freshman coming in who's just got game-changing speed. But then if you have Petaway, suddenly your wide receiver rotation, and I'm really uh, high on Gavin Freeman as well, what we saw, but your receiver rotation is going to be Farouk, Freeman, Stoops, Petaway. For as much as Jeff Levy asked these, this group to block downfield, that's just a, a lot of very smaller, undersized guys. Not that they can't get it done. So that's where an Andrew Anthony needs to step in. That's that's where, uh, whether it be more contributions from the tight end room, from your Caden Helmses and Jason Llewellyns to, to go along with Austin Stogner, or having a Nick Anderson come along, a, a Jaden Gibson, he has to catch the ball first. He had like one opportunity and he – wasted Dylan Gabriel's best play of the season and at TCU for me, uh, bobbling it around 80 times and then just dropping it. So um, it's a lot of unproven guys that, that have to step up and step in. And and so that it's kind of wide open on that front just because, again, the guys that I would default to are all a similar body type. And that's where a guy that is incredibly long, like an Andrew Anthony, you could see him getting downfield and blocking as well as making plays. A guy like a Nick Anderson, who, who's big and strong, and, and OU fans are familiar with what the Anderson family build looks like. Uh, right. Th- things like that, of what they can do downfield. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of mixes in. And again, if there's a mix at all, or if it's just here's the four guys you're going to see, and that's what Jeff Levy's going to run with. Yeah, I'll add real quick I can't forget to um, on, J- on yeah. Jaquez Petaway. It's going to be tough. He's an extremely talented kid. He's got a great burst. He's got good hands. I watched him real close at the All-American stuff when I was down there on the field when they were practicing. I got lots of good images of him, lots of good um, video and, and all kinds of stuff, just watching him, just seeing him from 10 feet away, right? He's a freshman. He's an incoming freshman who gets there in June, so that's going to be tough. I think we saw something similar to that with uh, with Mario Williams when Mario came in and he had all this hype and Johnny Five Star and – you know, he's kind of a, a marginal guy for most of that season. It's just tough for a freshman to be able to come in and take, especially at receiver, to be able to come in and yeah. take that much coaching and that much have that much of an understanding of defenses and route running and the nuances that go into getting separation into, at the top of your routes and things like that. Uh, and understanding uh, route trees, understanding which I guess Marvin Mims told us OU doesn't really have route trees. I was about to say, yeah, the, let me back up on that. One. The Baylor system is not a route tree; it is run oh, fast because Baylor couldn't recruit right. those guys. That's why. That's why the Baylor wide receivers under Bryles were not first round draft picks. That's why, and that's why Oklahoma fans should maybe readjust your expectations of what the NFL caliber of these guys are. And we'll get into this later, but that's why I totally agree. Freshman coming in, but. If you're coming into any system, Jeff Levy does not have huge developer route trees, which is fine in college football. That can still be very productive. It's a different game than the NFL. That's not necessarily like a negative. It, it'll hurt him in recruiting, especially when your marquee guy comes out and just says it bluntly from the podium at the combine. That'll be yeah. negatively recruited against all the time. They're probably like, Marvin, you could have saved that for the behind closed doors meetings. But um, th- this offense is not going to be hard for receivers to pick up. I don't think it's going to be the trust factor from the coaches, which I, I think is, again, incredibly valid because we saw it last year that the freshmen didn't touch the field and the transfers didn't touch the field. It wasn't just a freshman thing. LV Bunkley Shelton 
it took him deep into the season before they even trusted him on the small handful of snaps that he did get. So yeah, getting acclimated is it, it's a it's a different ball game. I was gonna say too, you can't forget he's one of the bigger probably unknowns on the team is is JJ Hester. What is that Another. guy? We didn't see him at all last year. Transfer from Missouri, he was hurt. You know, uh, what does he do? I have no idea. And yeah, LV Bunkley shutting you kind of throw into that too because we just didn't really see him. Um, I think we kind of all wondered would he be back, and he is back. Um, he's doing the winter workouts and stuff. Um, so back in the fold, you have to assume. I don't. We don't know LV. We haven't talked to him or anything. But you have to assume he probably wouldn't have come back if he felt like it was going to be the same. <laughs> he barely played last year. He has to at least think he has a shot to get more snaps. So where does he fit in there? So it, they have guys, and I, I should have prefaced everything by saying I'm not concerned, and I don't think you guys are either, with Oklahoma's talent at the receiver position. I don't have it in me to have that. Oklahoma's always been fine at the receiver spot for 20-plus years now, but it's just interesting to, to wonder who is it going to be. Um, because, yeah, like like who said, you know, true freshmen don't often come in. Marvin Mims did do it in 2020, obviously had a huge freshman season. Yeah, um, 37 catches. Mario Williams was – he was okay. Mario Williams was okay. Most I said 37 who? catches for Marvin as a freshman. He was, like you said, okay. Yeah, he was, pretty, he, was, yeah he, was, he was solid. He was very good. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting uh, position to watch and uh, for a lot of reasons. The new coach, some new bodies, and then uh, who's stepping up. And is Farouk Gray to be that number one? Yeah. Oh, you hope I, so. Oh, oh, you hope so. I think he is. But oh, you hope so. Yeah, I, I think for me that's the biggest question is as you talk about, you know, filling the shoes of Marvin Mims and, and the, you know, production from Theo East, my big question is I, I don't know. I don't like – Jalil Farouk, number one wide receiver on a offense that can win the Big 12. Maybe this Big 12, sure. But uh, Farouk is like your number one game changer guy. He, he does not stack up to what the Alabamas of the world are rolling out there, what the Georgias of the world are rolling out there, based off what we've seen so far. So I'm really interested to see what the development path of, okay, now you've got Emmett Jones, who... That that's what you know. It keeps being pumped up is not just his connections in Dallas, but he, his love of developing guys and developing that talent. What different do we see added to Jalil Farouk's game uh, coming in this year? Because he's going to have to be that number one guy. It's not going to be a scenario where you know. Remember the first two weeks of last year, the ball just hadn't found him. It wasn't because he was not open or anything. And Jeff Lay was talking about how. He's just doing a great job of keeping his head down, working, and then it found him at Nebraska finally, and he got going. That's not going to be the case this year. He's going to got to be that guy that is force-fed by Dylan Gabriel, and and I'm interested to see if he's ready for that just because that was Brayden Willis and Marvin Mims, really, for the most part uh, at the start of the year last year. Did you guys hear the, the comment from Marvin Mims about Jaleel Farouk, said he's kind of a Debo Samuel and that he can do it all, run with the ball, catch the ball, block underneath, all that stuff. That's the that's a great package to have. That's a great thing to have that kind of versatility and a utility receiver. I don't know if you want your number one guy doing that. I don't know if you want your 70 or 60 catch per season guy mm-hmm. touching the football, having to touch the football all over the field. Yeah, I think you want to be able to so. get him the football as a number one receiver down the field as the top option. Can compete with Jackson Arnold as the backup quarterback, though. Take those snaps. Yeah. Uh yeah, uh, Jalil Farouk. I, I'm a, I, I 
I'm a big believer in Joel Farouk. I think he's a really talented player, but it is there is something to be said for the for doing it. Obviously, as the number one guy, when you don't have Marvin Mims taking a lot of attention, because um, defenses had to be aware of Marvin Mims at all times. He was capable of an 80-yard touchdown on any play. So not having that, certainly, and Braden Willis, now they have Stogner. They have other talent, but he'll be the guy that teams are watching for early in the year. Um, so that there is something to be said for that. So excited to see what that looks like um, next season, certainly. Receiver room is interesting. going to be very interesting. Fun to watch here coming up in spring ball in uh, less than a couple weeks. Talking about Marvin Mims, let's slip over to him in the combine. Ryan, you're gonna have to defend yourself. Marvin Mims ran a four three eight. He made money uh, this week in Indy. On last week's show, Ryan did not have a big believer in Marvin's speed. The floor is yours. Can we roll that clip back? Hey, Can we roll the the, 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 the Ryan? <laughs> yeah, the, is gonna run like a four eight five or whatever it was. Well, yeah, the the four five four six <laughs> did not happen. Shout out to him. Uh, looks like he's a lot faster when he can focus on running in a straight line for a couple of months, but, uh, <laughs> shout it. No, he, I mean, again, Marvin Mims, great game speed, getting behind defenses when he's not covered. Uh, I'll wait on the last time he ran away from somebody, uh, cause that doesn't happen a whole lot, but no, he, that's what teams wanted to see. And he went out there. Was it the fourth or fifth fastest time of his entire group out there? Um, I didn't see all of the like the rest of the day's worth of times go from unofficial to official to see how that went. So he did everything he needed to do to, to lock himself in as what a top 100 like I should be a day two guy. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So. After running that, that that was again, that's the only question mark because he, he did show off a lot more of his route tree capability under Lincoln Riley because he was asked to and run that 438 is going to be everything teams wanted to see not a number one guy but uh if a team misses out on their top target and they're sitting there in the second or third round they're going to come back and be very very happy with uh what marvin posted the combine and and what he's done just as a player yeah his productivity remember going back to high school got caught like five million passes in high school for like 20 million yards i mean he was unbelievable setting all those records in frisco and he comes to Oklahoma, and he's extremely, extremely, his two, first two years under Lincoln Riley, underutilized. Uh, Jeff Levy comes out. I said last year, I made my bold prediction, remember, was that he was going to lead the Big 12 in catches. He did not. I think he finished top four, top five, but he had something like 60-some catches. So he's productive. He knows how to play football. Um, there was some question about the route tree when he said, yeah, we don't really have uh, you know, very detailed route trees at Oklahoma uh, didn't have to do that, but I ran a lot of routes in college or in high school. And, uh, I've been work, working on uh, all these routes with my trainer. That was shocking to me to hear that level of, you know, we we're not that sophisticated at Oklahoma. The offense wasn't that sophisticated. So that was a little bit shocking to hear that, but, uh, to know that he shaved that time down to four, three, eight, I remember my prediction guys last week was four, four, two, and I wasn't willing to give him the benefit of the doubt just because, I'm very dubious when somebody says they run a four, three, anything. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Nobody runs a four, three, anything except the fastest elite of the elite percentage way up here runs the four, three, anything. And he ran a four, three, anything. He ran a four, three, eight. So shout out Marvin Mims. That was impressive. Yeah. I think the important thing too, is his speed compared to everybody else. Uh, Cause if you look the last two years, times have been a lot faster since they laid that new turf at Indy. So that's, that's going to be, if you, if you hear that like criticism come that's probably a team putting a smoke screen out there because 
yes, the times the last couple of years have been faster because the new turf. But again, like he has to run on the same turf on the same day as everybody else. And when you're still in like the the top five, like that's all that teams are going to compare him to is the other prospects in in the class. So uh, big, big, big moment for him, I think, to, to again, like I said, lock him in like day two, no later than that. Second, third round. 100%. Marvin made some money. Some other guys made some money. Uh, what other guys uh, stood out? Obviously, there was a few guys who uh, certainly were the winners of the week there on the OU side from Indy. Who was the biggest uh, outside of well, Marvin uh, for it you? It was the guy that I told you needed to make a move or had the best opportunity to make a move. Uh, my prediction was as spot on as any prediction I've ever offered. Jalen Redmond. <laughs> I had no idea Jalen Redmond was going to post the number 240 time in the defensive lineman, the number one vertical jump, the number one broad jump, the number one cone drill, all this stuff that he did was just like people are – I remember the the scouting report from uh, Lance Zerline, NFL.com, NFL evaluator out of Houston. I've known Lance, you know, by through radio and through other things, just talking, uh, exchanging DMs or tweets or texts or t- talking to him on the radio. I respect that dude a lot. And when he said – when his evaluation was, he is uh, – I can't remember the quote exactly – a very unathletic defensive lineman. Something like that. Something along those lines. I was just like, you must have watched the wrong defensive lineman at Oklahoma. He's the most athletic defensive lineman they have. He should have been playing all these years defensive end in a 4-3 setup to really maximize his skills. Slimmed down to about 275, and he could, I think he could have done that. I think he could have been great at it. But, boy, um, to, to perform like he did with all those guys around him, all his peers around him and all those coaches and all those scouts and all those GMs and all those personnel managers watching him work out. You can't help but think he jumped at least two or maybe three rounds just from his workout, just from his workout. Now I'm not saying he's going to be a first rounder or second round or anything like that, but he went from a late day three guy to a day two guy, possibly. Remember Jalen Redmond was a hooper too. He He could be good ball. Yeah. Yeah, and for him too, that that's one of those we made the I don't know if comparison's the right word, but it's a similar situation to the Isaiah Thomas conversation last year of when teams are evaluating him, they had to figure out, okay, he's split time between two different positions on the defensive line. What do we see him as? All that stuff. Well, if you have all of those measurables, that makes that conversation in those rooms a lot easier because coaches are now looking for reasons to t- and and scouts and GMs are looking for reasons to talk themselves into why I can take that guy and mold him for this exact position as opposed to going, well, he's a tweener, and then look at his 40 time or, or things like that. And so that was big for Jalen Redmond. I thought Anton Harrison had a good weekend as well. Um, he was a guy that we've talked about, has a lot to gain as far as slotting himself higher and higher in the first round just because of the, it, it appears there still isn't a great consensus around the tackles right now. And tackles are going to go like hotcakes in the first round. They do every single year. It's the the premium position on the offensive line as far as draft position, all that goes. And so Anton Harrison, you paired that what he did physically on the field with some of the quotes from, you know, like Felix and Duque Ozoma from K-State that was like, yeah, he was the toughest guy I went against all year, all that stuff. I, I think that uh, that's going to only help him a, a, as teams try to sort out what they're going to do with the tackle spot. Yeah, Anton Harrison seems destined uh, for the first round. We talked about that a little yep. bit last week. Also want to shout out Eric Gray as well. He continues a really good uh, draft cycle for him. Obviously, we talked about it at the time. He was really good in the Senior Bowl uh, that week of practice. 
And I think teams are beginning to and will and already have uh, fallen in love with his ability to catch passes because he was making some really nice highlight-level catches. He had some of the best catches of the week in India as a running back. Um, and teams love that, um, as you would guess. And so Eric Gray is going to get drafted by somebody, and he has a chance, I think, to be a little bit of a uh, obviously very, very different player, not comparing the type of player, but similar to Ramondre where he gets drafted kind of in a later round and then a team just falls in love with him and they're like, actually, this guy rules. I think Eric Gray has some potential for that. Not that he's going to be a number one featured back reading the NFL and rushing or anything, but he's going to have a role for himself in the NFL. I feel confident in that. Uh, big believer in Eric Gray as yeah. well. So, I yeah. agree. You got anything uh, else you want to add? Poor, uh, poor Wanya Morris uh, popped his hamstring at the end. Great yeah, two hamstring sprain yeah. at the end of his 40. He was doing okay. He ran, I think, a 5 one Why are old linemen running 40? What's that? Why are old linemen even running 40? They should just run the 20s. It's something they never do, and it's amazing it doesn't happen more often. And, uh, yeah, and they uh, they do those cone drills, which are important for pulling and, and mobility and find, you know, when you got a defensive end that's moving on various directions or you've got guys crossing over, you got to be able to move back and forth. So those are huge. And I thought he did well there, but, man, popped his hamstring. And may not yeah. be able to go at his pro day if uh, he's going to try and get well. That's his that's his uh, directive right now is to get your hamstring well. Well, if you're focused on rehab and rehabbing a muscle, a, a grade two sprained muscle, then you're not training. You're not improving your times. You're not improving your jumps. So that's just too bad for him. I still think he'll get drafted. I think he's got too much experience and, and had too good of a season last year to, to go undrafted. But Another one I was a little bit surprised by had a had a bad showing numbers wise. Guys was Braden Willis, Captain Willis, um, yeah. weight room Willie. You know they talk about his uh, his performance in the weight room and and running and doing all that stuff. I thought he was excellent in the uh, receiving drills that they ran. And it's a little bit hard to get a read on how a guy can block basically when he's in his underwear, right? Like they do at the combine. So his strength. <laughs> The best thing he does, which is blocking, uh, blocking on the move, blocking you know in a mobility type situation, he was not allowed to really kind of show that, showcase what he could do and his real strength. So he had to do some other things. And when you put him up against um, some you know possible first round draft picks in the NFL group or the I'm sorry the tight end group, um, I yeah you look at his times. There's no other way to say it. He struggled. He, I don't know if he was like having fight through some sickness or injury or didn't feel well or what, but I was very surprised that his times were all, every one of them was well way down at the bottom of that, uh, of the tight end list. That was surprising to me. Yeah. And that was a bummer for him. Cause we talked about that. He, you get him in front of teams and start talking to him. And he's the kind of guy that GM scouts, coaches, everybody's going to love, but, uh, some of those guys, some of those teams need that reason of okay, this guy ran a time that we didn't think. Now let's go circle back. Now let's go watch more film and let's see him actually block and, and things like that. And so that that hurts for him. On the Wanye front, obviously the injury stinks. Hate to see that for anybody. Uh, but for Wanye, he needed to go and interview well because that that's going to be the big question for him is. Why were you unable to make an impact two seasons ago? Why did you miss the first couple of games this last season? Are you going like it, this is not college anymore where people are looking after you? Are you going to be available for us? Or is this yeah. going to be the same story of little things, not 
bad purse or anything like that, but just little things that keep popping up that get in the way of you staying on the football field. That's the most important thing for Wanye. And, and that's one of those things that we, we just, we're not in those rooms and, and you can't get a, a solid read until after the draft. Cause it's, it's smokescreen season and all right. that stuff. There's something else about Braden, um, just to finish this point, when he gets to the pro day, on the 30th, 30th, right? I think is what it was, or was it the 20th? Anyway, it's, it's 30th, coming up 30th. 30th. Uh, when he gets to pro day, he'll be more comfortable. He'll sleep in his own bed the night before, right? He won't have to worry about a whole bunch of interviews that are lined up. A couple of teams will want to talk to him. Uh, I did hear from some NFL people that cover teams very closely that he interviewed exquisitely. He was a master in the on the whiteboard and in the face-to-face interviews. So they love him. They love his knowledge. And the thing is, is maybe he just was out of his element a little bit. We've seen it. I talked about it before with Curtis Lofton. When you're out of your element, your body's just not functioning right. Maybe something like that came up when he gets to Norman. Maybe those numbers will be more representative of what he can actually do. So that's what you're hoping is that he's able to, to sharpen those numbers and lower those a little bit. So um, teams won't be scared to draft him. They see the production. They see the blocking on film. They've met him. They've talked to him. They're, they're impressed by his knowledge. But boy, his numbers are just not good. So he's got to get those numbers up to ensure that he gets a, a good draft spot. Have a couple of weeks to regroup too. Because remember, we talked about this last year, just how the schedule shook out. Combine happens. And it was this week last year, Big 12 Championship Week, that Josh and I were at Pro Day with you, And then we head to Kansas City. That gave the guys, anyone who had a bad anything, if, hey, I want to do more on the bench or anything like that. No time to go back and say, I'm going to hone in on this drill and work on it. And so that kind of um, hurt those guys last year in the process. That won't be an issue this year. So they'll have a little under a month, but some time to hone in on what what do they want to improve? What what do they need to improve? And they'll have a chance to have a better moment at Pro Day. Yeah, Braden will be a big one to watch, obviously, uh, at the Pro Day three weeks from today. And also, have did you guys see who's going to be making his return to normal? No. For the I didn't see The reunition, I just invented a word, of Turk and Burke. Gabe Burkich is coming back to Norman for uh, for Pro Day to kick in front of scouts and stuff like that. Obviously a totally lost year for him. Um, but he's coming back, and Michael Turk's going to hold for him. So there we go. Turk and Burke one last time for old time's sake. There will be no burritos hold involved. Football. Hold football, Please not God. burritos. Exactly. <laughs> That's something, isn't it? When you're yeah. when your kicker who's been out of college football for a year has to join pro day, and what's he going to do? He's not going to run. He's not going to lift. He's not going to jump. He's going to kick footballs. And Bob Stoops, where are you at? He should be kicking for the Renegades right now. Um, That's what true. Your pay salary That's is true. your salary scale is for kickers in the XFL. The two and one Arlington Renegades, by Good the way, from Marquette King, who, who has survived that relation. I was curious how Marquette King was going to get along. He has survived so far, punting, not kicking, but, but yeah. So Gabe Burkish, we'll get to have one last. We, last year after Pro Day, they gave us like all the players one at a time at the podium. So we get to probably have one one last Gabe Burkish just toying with the media <laughs> session if, if he wants. <laughs> if he wants it, we'll see if that's what happens. <laughs> Uh, in three weeks' so time, parallel park it in between the uprights. That's right, parallel park it into the uprights. Our he good friend, guy. he sees his guy Turk to hold for him. So they get the Turk and Burke, and then if teams are smart, they'll they'll uh, not draft Burkich, but they'll pick up pick them both up. 
our good friend Ross Lovelace can handle the Gabe Burkich presser for me. I'll, I'll be <laughs> I'll be out on getting my time wasted by Gabe Burkich. <laughs> We've hit our Burkich quota from that 2021 season. We got him like five times. Crazy. In the first All six right. weeks, I know it was like. What? <laughs> Yeah, it was, we, he and yeah, couldn't get enough. Couldn't get enough of him. Um, all right, that's it for us. We'll take a time out here. We'll come back. We'll hit some other sports. We'll do the in memoriam for the basketball season. Really bad. We'll wrap that up. Women's hoops, huge week ahead for them in Kansas City. We'll preview that a little bit. Wrap up the diamond sports. Both teams are rolling, and we'll send you on your way. Next up, final segment, the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 177 on this March 9th, 2023. Send you on your way into your... Spring weekend here. All right. One final time. Let's do it. Men's hoops. It's over. Our long national nightmare is over. Uh, they lost the Big 12 tournament opener last night to OSU. That's really the probably the biggest plus of us having to move the show over a day was that we got to do the full season recap here because they lost OSU last night. They scored 49 freaking points. The offense was as dreadful as it's ever been. Um, they're one and done in Kansas City. They officially went the entire 2023 without winning two games in a row. Last time they won two games in a row was in December, which is nuts. Um, horrible season, 15 and 17. What can you say? They're not going to be in the NIT. I don't believe. I don't think they're. I don't think they're going to get a bid. I don't think the NIT is going to want them. Um, what can you say, guys? It was a really bad year, and it ended with an absolute thud. Uh, it was a really, really ugly game last night, and they lose Bedlam for the third time. One of the most damning stats I've I've seen for Porter Moser, and I think he should be back, and he will be back. One and eight against OSU in Texas. One and eight. Can't have that. Can't have. Did we that. see a tweet last night from uh, from Eli Letterman from the Tulsa World? First time since the '60s that they've lost 64, 65 seasons. Since they've lost three uh, times to Oklahoma State. It, coincidentally, that's also the last time. Both football and basketball had a losing right. record, 64-65. So it must have sucked to be a Sooner fan Rough back time. then, I'm sure. Uh, Rough time. Right? Hard to believe not that much better right now. Um, again, I'll, I'll fall back on the press conference. Um, you know, you watch them play. <laughs> they're playing hard. They're gutting it out. Uh, they're keeping good attitudes. They're trying their hardest. You love that. They're competing all the way to the end. And, and I saw that last night. They were pressing. They were trying to knock, getting uh, tipped passes and knocking loose balls around at the end of the game when they had no chance to win. So you love that. I'm taking a, a altruistic approach here. There's a lot to like about the, this team, and one of those things is they play hard. One of those things is most, most nights, almost every night, they try hard. Um, you don't get that all the time out of your teams. And you listen to – Grant Sherfield, you listened to Tanner Groves last night in the press conference, and they're grateful 
for their time at Oklahoma. They both transferred from another school. They both came here to win games and they both leave here better men because they formed relationships that they're going to have for the rest of their lives and coaching staff and teammates and whatnot. So again, I, I fall back on that because I'm, I'm a little torn. You absolutely have to play basketball better. These guys all know that Porter Moser knows that, but at the same time, they accomplished a lot. They got some really impressive wins, some fun wins, some things that they're going to, some wins that they're going to put kind of in their memory banks for life. Um, I know I'm being soft right now, but I tend to do that when seasons come to a, a crashing thud like last night did, we think. I don't think right. the NIT is going to invite them, but the NIT still could invite them. They take teams with losing records. Um, that, that changed a couple of years ago. So it's possible that they could be an NIT team. I would hope that it's not in Norman if they do. You know what I mean? Um, this team, we've, we've all kind be. of been force-fed 32 games of mostly bad basketball. I thought you were going to say that you were taking that approach because you knew that I was speaking next on the podcast. Absolutely. You're the hard ass of the, in this group when it comes to men's basketball. <laughs> it's the Big 12. Showing up and having great experiences, that's a joke. It's a Big 12 basketball. Go play in a mirror. You're playing. <laughs> yeah, like that's a joke. Uh, the game plan last night, this is not a player thing. I thought Porter Moser was embarrassed. Mike Boynton is not a good X's and O's coach. He's a great recruiter and a great defensive coach. But to get outfoxed basically three times this year by Mike Boynton, that's really damning. Uh, that makes me pause when people say, but no, 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 Porter Moser is a good coach. I'm just like, really? Because there's a lot of good coaches in the Big 12, and none of them get outfoxed three times by Mike Boynton. Yeah, outfoxed or, the- or outthustled, out athleticism, out. Well, OSU is a horrible matchup for you. The game game plan that Oklahoma came into last night was to feed Tanner Groves in the low post. That's what they did over that eight-minute field goal drought. You, me, Josh, we could have told you, hey, what's the biggest mismatch on the floor? It's OSU's bigs versus Oklahoma's bigs. And Oklahoma had taken six of their first 19 shots from three-point range. Six. That's the only way Oklahoma wins basketball games is if they can spread it out and shoot from deep. Tanner Groves got stuffed by Caleb Asbury under the bucket. That was the game plan from Porter Moser. Mr. I watch all of this tape all the time. I grind tape. You watched uh, 80 minutes of OU and Oklahoma State, and you came out with, Let's feed Tanner Groves with your season on the line when you got to win four games against Musa Cisse. That's a joke. I'm sorry. Uh, they bookended the season with their two lowest scoring outputs. The lowest scoring output before last night was 51 points in the opener against Sam Houston. They finished the season with 49 points in a do-or-die must-win, where Oklahoma State didn't really play that well offensively. Like They did not shoot well. That's the only reason OU was still in the basketball game. There are big... Big changes that got to come this offseason. It's going to be the exact same. Porter Moser wants to talk about development. C.J. Nolan was an all-freshman selection last year. He was not even a factor in the rotation this year. That's not development. Um, Milos Uzan and and Owe, to be fair to Porter, those are his recruits. Um, Bijan and C.J. Nolan committed to Lon Kruger. But if you're going to do the we-have-to-grow-old thing, you got to work with anyone that's on the roster. Otherwise, you're going to be diving into the portal again where Porter's not had any success with a big man. Joe Bamasilla, Marvin Johnson have come in in back-to-back years. You're both athletic player, not used. Like, 
Porter Moser's got to do some soul searching this offseason on top of improving that roster, or next year's going to be bad again. And then you have three awful years ahead of the SEC. That's not going to be tenable. Well, that's the thing with, with Porter, right? What's the joke? People call him Portal Moser, you know, because he's been so good in the transfer portal. The hit rate is really low right now with the transfers. Grant Shurfield was a bust. He wasn't what they hoped they would be. He had good moments, but overall, he was very unreliable. He wasn't any good last time. 15.9 points a game was a with, bust. Well, when they needed him, he was never yeah, there. I mean, he was five games. I think he, what was the stat I had in, the, in the, the column today? 24 of their first 30 games or something like that. In the 20, 22 of their first 28 games, he was the leading scorer and zero of the last five. So he absolutely, I think he wore down from having to carry everybody so much. Maybe. When they needed him, he was never there. Maybe that's me being from watching him all year, but it didn't feel like he was reliable at any point. Joe Bamisil, he was a bust. He didn't hardly even play at all this year. Uh, Tanner Groves, we all thought he maybe he'd be this Cameron Crutwig type guy. He was okay, but he never could match up with these big 12 bigs. That For two years, we had to watch that. You know, Jacob Groves had a really tough year. He did not have a good season. He had a good start, and he had a really he got taken out of the lineup. You know, uh, the list goes on. And these guys that were added that just didn't really work out. Marvin Johnson, like like Ryan said, you know, so they got to find a way. I mean, the, the key here, and it can turn around quick. It's college basketball. It's a small roster. It can turn around quick. If Caden Cooper and Jacob Cole come in and they are what OU hopes they are, and you retain Milo Suzanne, who looks like he's a stud, Otega Oa develops, you actually get a legit big, which – Oh, he hasn't really done in a long time. Even I wouldn't hold your breath Porter. on that. Porter's shown yeah, no ability to hurt. Porter, that's been a problem. Then they can be a lot better, but that's a lot of ifs. That's a lot of ifs. So, yeah, I mean, what can you say? It was a rough, it was a rough, rough year. Um, who have you said right at the beginning of the year? It was like the first thing that they'll go as far as Grant Sherfield took him. And when it was big games, you know, Grant Sherfield went away. He was too quiet in big spots too many times uh, this year. He had some big games, but. You know, I don't know, Ryan. Ryan, you can be the tiebreaker on on the sure field. I'm more harsh on him. Who's a little nicer? Where you land? You're you're harsh generally. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I think the Sherfield did wear down. Um, bust for what for what this team needed him to be. Bust for like what your expectation was coming out of the portal. Then I I think that the issue was he was going to fill the spot of Emoja Gibson, which Emoja was like he'll give you 30 points a couple of nights. He'll no show on five or six nights. That's exactly what Grant Sherfield did. He he had very high highs, a couple of total no-shows. I think that was a push, and I think it just shows that Porter Moser failed in the rest of the roster construction. Like I, I go back to the Kansas game in Norman. Bill Self is talking about how they're going to have to defend at the level that they need to defend at to win the Big 12, win a national championship, all that stuff. And Porter Moser's talking about developing young guys. And that just showed me, like, Oklahoma played a different game than every other team in the Big 12 Conference this year, which is trying to develop young guys. I mean, I had one of my buddies who's a big OSU fan. He was texting me last night, and he's like, he was trying to work through Porter's process because he's like, do you know how many of OSU's starters last night, Oklahoma State, who just, per Joe Lenardi, punched their ticket to the NCAA tournament, how many of OSU's starters were OSU recruits out of high school or transfers? Five of five were transfers. 52 of the 57 points Oklahoma State scored last night came from transfers. Transfers is how you win in college basketball today, unless you're getting one and done. Porter Moser's not going to get one and done. He's got to figure out how to recruit transfers successfully because they haven't done it. They haven't done it. They they were out of the tournament last year. They were not, they're not in NIT bracketology this year. 
NIT I looked at multiple NIT bracketologies, multiple, which is crazy that there are multiple, that that's a thing. There are multiple out there. And I looked, I perused, and they were not on any of them. So I don't anticipate NIT. And now you head to the offseason. Like I said, you need, you need Jacob Cole and Caden Cooper to be what they hope they are. You need to retain Milos Uzan, which I haven't heard anything as far as if he would leave or not. But after a year like this, you have to wonder, you know, Otega Owa too. And a big decision is going to be coming down for Jalen Hill. What does he do? Because Oklahoma, he was, in my opinion, Oklahoma's best player this year. Certainly the most consistent player. What does he do? And that's a big, big question mark for Oklahoma. He has another year if he wants it. Does he just go ahead and go and try and make a pro career doing something overseas or something? Or does he come back and go somewhere else for a year or do the Brady Manic thing? Or does he come back to Oklahoma? That's a big question for you. He's a huge huge piece of that. Sure, too. Yeah, Tanner Groves Tanner is the-, the only guy who can't come back. So lots of decisions will be made here soon uh, for Oklahoma. But we'll um, see. Real quick, Oklahoma averaged on defense 67.5 points per game allowed. I don't know what the pace was, Ryan. You probably know better what the what the where they rank pace. It's the bottom quartile for sure, Low. if not lower. Um, but 67.5 points per game on defense. On offense, they're 10th in the Big 12 at 67.7. What does that tell you? They've got to get better. They've got to be able to put the ball in the basket when Porter Moser doesn't have options. I'll take you back to uh, – oh, and by the way, they're last in the conference in scoring margin, 0.1 points per game. Um, my math says that's 0.2, but apparently the Big 12 has better numbers than me. Um, but I'll take you back to the preseason when Porter Moser said it was it was like early, like August, I seem to remember. We sat at a press conference and he said, Grant Sherfield is a great shot clock guy. That immediately set – red alarms off in my head, right? Like, okay, that's good to know. That's good to have, but you can't rely on that. I mean, he, he made a big point of it. He didn't just say it once. He said it like four or five times in this one answer, or maybe a couple answers. Great shot clock guy. When the shot clock's winding down, we know we can give him the ball and go get us a bucket. That's good, but you probably need that maybe three times in a college basketball game, maybe four at the most. If you're relying on that more times mm-hmm. than not, Something's wrong with your offense, and we see that with 67 points a game. Yeah, OU finished 266th in pace out of 363 in the country. They did have some improvement, though, as Iowa State somehow sandbagged below them. Iowa State was the slowest team in the Big 12 at 283rd in pace. North Texas is still dead last. Grant McCaslin is a hot name for the Texas Tech job. So I'm just telling you right now, the Iowa State – Texas Tech and the Oklahoma Texas Tech matchups next year. No team is getting to f- over fifty. Like they're going to be disgusting basketball games, and that's like better hope. Uh, yeah, up in whose neck of the woods, old Paul Mills doesn't take the old tr- stroll to love it because that could get ugly for the rest of the. I think Oklahoma's if, uh, hoping he, he stays right at Oral Roberts there. for one more year. Wow. Uh, he's he's probably going to have the biggest uh, run in the NCAA tournament from teams out of uh, the state of Oklahoma. And there should be very interesting looks in both Norman and Stillwater based off of what they've gotten from their coaches over their respective tenures. I don't think Oklahoma State's going to make the tournament. I think they're going to lose to Texas today. At the This could age very poorly. I think they're going to lose to Texas today, and then they won't make it. And so Oral Roberts will be the only team for Oklahoma to make it. But they did uh, beat Oklahoma, so they should they be in the tournament. They beat Oklahoma there, so. three times, so they should be in the tournament, right? That 
yeah, yeah, that's some big, huge feather in the cap. That's <laughs> what Lenardi said. Was it last night? Well, they beat OU. They they crush OU's ass for a third time. Now they're definitely a tournament <laughs> team. Makes no sense. Explain it to me, Joe. Explain it to me. Yeah, Oklahoma's the barometer for NCAA tournament teams. It's not. <laughs> well, it's just they already did it twice. Like, what what new data came across? How did that work third, out for Villanova and Arkansas? Because they did it in Stillwater. Did it in Norman. They did it in Kansas City. Caleb Boone. Oh, he's going to be very glad that that guy is going away. <laughs> they don't need to see that guy anymore because he owns OU and he likes it. And he loves it. Nobody takes more pleasure in dominating OU than uh, Caleb Boone. So, yeah, into the offseason they go and uh, lots of decisions to be made. Porter Moser will be back. I know fans are doing the whole, like, fire him thing. Not happening. He'll be back. So we'll see uh, We'll see what happens, what, what moves they can make. The portal will be active again for OU, and they got to hope that they hit on more of them. Because uh, yeah, I mean, weird. guys like Joe Bamisil, who were expected to come in and be a big part of the team, and then just didn't hardly play, can't have that. Can't have that. So we'll see what happens. And like we said, lots of decisions. Only Tanner Gross can't come back. Everybody else can, if they want, come back. So lots of decisions coming up uh, for this roster. All right, shifting over to the women. Big comeback win in Stillwater to win Bedlam. They are co-Big 12 champs, which is kind of a funny thing because they got swept by Texas. So it doesn't feel like they should be, but that's not how it works. They are co-Big 12 champs. Big accomplishment for that team, considering where that program was just a couple years ago. Obviously, it was irrelevant before Jenny Bronchen got there, and now they're co-champs in the Big 12. They are right, right on the border of hosting or not. It's going to come down to what they do in Kansas City this week. They're the two-seed so they obviously skip the first round. They're going to have three wins. If they win the Big 12 tournament, they will host. Anything short of that, I don't know. I, re- I don't I don't know. Um, but it's a, a big week for them in Kansas City and a big accomplishment certainly to rally from behind, beat OSU in Stillwater, and be co, uh, co-conference champs. Pretty cool. Get to the finals, lose to Texas again. I think there's a pretty good chance they host. Decent chance. Uh, win sure. the whole thing, then I would say, yeah, they host. But they – They've got bigger fish to fry than than worry about hosting right now. They need, they lost to 20, they lost by 20 and 22 to Texas. Um, Uh And yet they claim co-championships. The big 12 is goofy. Remember uh, 2012, Kansas state beat tech, beat Oklahoma head to head. And they split the big 12 championship. That's just the way the big 12 is set up. Uh, You play a round Robin, you play everybody. You have the same number of games. You have the same number of losses. Guess what? You tie. So, uh, it's yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. They they went back to Lloyd Noble. I, th- I saw some people talking uh, at the uh, at the Regents meeting I was at. There was some discussion about OSU fans were mad because word was getting around that OU fans or OU the team brought the ladders and cut down the nets at Gallagher Iba, <laughs> and that's of course not true. They they celebrated. They held up the little signs and they they jumped up and down and they held up the trophy, and then the coach came over. The OSU coach came over, Jason came over and said, uh, we're trying to do senior night here. Y'all need to leave. And, of course, Jenny wasn't having any of that. Uh, what a great moment in women's college basketball. What a great moment in Bedlam women's basketball that there was nearly a, a throwdown on the uh, on the floor after the game. Uh, that, that whole situation is flawed. Number one, this is advice to everybody. Every team in every sport at every level, Simple stuff. Host your senior night before the game. You worried that your your players, your guys, your girls are too distracted? Too bad. Tell them to focus in. Have fun with their family. Take the flowers. 
wave to the fans, hold the jersey, whatever, but get focused on the game and do it before the game. Don't do it after. Don't ever do it after because we saw the, the product of it. Stupid. Idiotic. It's just idiotic. And then the other thing for <laughs> OSU fans are, that are complaining about OU celebrating on their court or the OSU team that's complaining, they just won the conference championship, a share of it. They just won the conference championship on your court. Number one, beat them if you don't want them to do that. Number two, if they do do that, get out of their way and let them have their moment. I didn't understand any of that. That was idiotic all the way around. It's perfect that this is one of the last uh, couple of moments that will happen in the Big 12 for Oklahoma because, yeah, from top to bottom, I think you covered it perfectly. From all sides of it, it was confusing. Um, And now it really masked what the actual story out of Bedlam should have been because Oklahoma, I don't care what it says, Texas won the Big 12 this year. You you got embarrassed twice against them. They're your Big 12 regular season champions. I don't care what the shares say, all that crap. But Oklahoma doesn't know if Matty Williams is going to be able to play in the Big 12 tournament. Uh, Matty Williams exited that game early. Jenny Baranchek this week just basically said they, they still don't know. They still don't have a, a firm timeline to give an update or anything like that. Well, I, Kansas and TCU are in that matchup that's going to funnel into the, the OU game. I, I believe it's Kansas and TCU. If that's the case... Uh, TCU stinks, so it should be Kansas. Like Kansas is going to go. Um, Oklahoma had to come from behind in Norman to beat that Kansas team. They needed some defensive stops at Fog Allen to close them out. Um, Oklahoma still hasn't beat an actual team of note outside of Iowa State when Suarez went down in the opening minutes. Oklahoma's got to worry about just beating Kansas first. And then it's Iowa State and Baylor, two teams that Oklahoma split the regular season series with. That would be the semifinal. Before you even worry about Texas, Oklahoma's got a really long road in Kansas City, especially if there's no Maddie Williams, just because that's one of the the key cogs of this Oklahoma machine. Everyone who's watched this team plays knows. And so it's it's no cakewalk anyway. And that's before you even discuss, will they get a shot at Texas or anything like that? Because I think they're going to have to beat Texas to host because the net rankings do not like Oklahoma. And for good reason, because again, they haven't beat anybody. Yeah. Ryan, help me out. I watched the video about a hundred times. Okay, maybe about fifteen times. Um, Maddie got her foot stepped on. Just her left foot was it stepped on? She didn't roll it because both her feet were planted. She was on defense, and it looked like an OSU player came down the lane and and collided with her and stepped on her foot. Is that all it was? It it was really tough to tell. So I w- that was happening right as Oklahoma and Kentucky softball were playing their second matchup, the first one on Saturday. So I was just trying to watch replays and there wasn't like a great like of the replays that's what it looked like um obviously like just rolling your ankle you would have had a timeline by now or anything like that so i'm not sure if there was anything else or if it was just unfortunate um i'm not saying this what happened to maddie but like my sister she played soccer she got her foot stepped on one time and then we all thought okay you get your foot stepped on a million times a game and she had tendon issues that kept her out for two weeks so there, there are just weird stuff that can happen, even if it's something as innocuous as looks like you just kind of stepped on each other and landed weird. So um, it, it, it's been tough to tell. There's just not been a ton of info because it sounds like Oklahoma doesn't have a firm timeline for Maddie. Yeah, uh, obviously, probably Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma's best player. Um, so hopefully uh, she can get back in there sooner than later. Yeah, and to tie up to real quick, because I just I know that people will probably comment it. And I saw a lot of it on Twitter that OU did their senior night after their game as well. 
against Kansas State. You run State, the risk um, of being embarrassed. The game before, it's still stupid. It is stupid. Yeah, they should uh, not I mean, have done I, that I, either. Yeah. Nothing, I, nothing that I just that we just articulated all of a sudden goes away because oh oh you right, did no, it. It's still it. dumb, but also it's extra levels of ill-advised for OSU because OU wins the conference if they win. So it, you know they're going to have at least a – and that's going to be extra brutal. And OU almost lost that Kansas State game, and it would have been a very awkward and sad senior thing. But they won, so it worked out. But they should move that thing before. The men do it before. So I don't know why it would even be different at OU. Why would you – that makes yeah, no I don't sense. Yeah, I get it. But, I'm trying to whatever. remember uh, what my daughter's teams did when she was in high school and college. Uh, frankly, I don't recall. I've been just having trouble recalling. I'm sure I can figure obviously. it out. But uh, – I've always thought whenever the opportunity was there, there, there been, she, she was on teams competing at a high level that they did the senior day after. And I'm just like, this is a bad idea. And there were tears. It was like, oh, we just lost our last game. It sucks. And they're out there trying to be, you know, like I said, with the parents yeah. and the flowers and the little brother and the, the jersey. And it's like, oh, we just lost. So that's, it's just dumb. It's just dumb. Don't do it. I don't you're care. Taking, you're taking photos in like your disgusting jersey, right, too, yeah. uniform, and like you're all sweaty. Like take it when you look clean. You just started the game. Uh-huh. You, know, you haven't played before. Obvious. It's very obvious. It's a most obvious solution ever right there in your face. All right. Shifting over to Diamond Sports to wrap up. So I'll put there what they do. Um, I did this all last year, too. I don't know what to add. They destroyed Kentucky. Destroyed them. Um, the first game, the second game was a, a beat down too, but not like the first game. Um, they went undefeated in their home, uh, opening weekend. They're still number one. They're not going to lose very many games at all. I mean, we know that, uh, did their thing, did their thing. Here's the beauty yeah, of softball. Here's the beauty of what Patty Gasso has to work on right now and work through is they played UIC before they played Kentucky. And it was one Oh, after the first at bat, basically, um, sure. Jada Coleman, I think she hit the solo home run to lead off the game. And it was 1-0 after the fourth inning, if I'm not mistaken. Might have been might have been they scored two and, and it was 3-0. But anyway, through through three and a half innings, I believe it was it was still one zip. And you're like, wait a minute, what? So they struggled to to live up to their own standard. They struggled to pour on a bunch of runs against a team that was winless, 0-14. Uh, they struggled. And there's no other way to say it. They ended up winning the game, scoring some late, a couple of late runs, scored Ford, uh, won the game five nothing. And Patty brings him in the locker room, clubhouse, talks to him, gives him one of those kind of talking tos, and they came out and absolutely obliterated number seventeen Kentucky. So that's the beauty of where she's what she's got to work with. She's got the talent on that team. Now it's up to Patty to push the buttons and move the chess pieces around and say, here's what, here's how good we can be. Because that UIC thing, even the players said, yeah, we could feel it. It just wasn't there for us. But we came out against Kentucky and we were all up. Now they know what their ceiling is. Yeah, and I think that's been the difference of this year's team to last year's team. Last year, that lineup was essentially the same lineup. It was basically the same lineup from 2021 you replaced Nicole Mendez. That was like the big piece that you replaced. This year, you've got freshmen and a Jocelyn Erickson that's coming in. You've got transfers left, right, and center. A lot of people that are getting acclimated, not just to life at Oklahoma, competing for your spot every day, but the fact that you get everyone's best shot. And I think last year's team understood that. You're getting a ton of consistency in the circle between Nicole May, Alex Duraco, and Jordy Ball. 
But Patty Gasso said in that post game on Friday night that she did not know what was going to happen in that Kentucky game. She was like, I hope that they respond. She'd also echoed that she didn't quite know what was going to happen against UCLA when they took the field, right? And so I think what Patty Gasso is looking for is, okay, we've seen the highs. Now you need to find that consistency. And that consistency doesn't mean putting 18 runs on every single team or anything like that. It's just a matter of when you're playing a really bad winless UIC team and you can't string a couple of base hits together every inning, like that is concerning. And and she wasn't happy with the approach. So I, I think that is basically what, Patty Gasso is looking for, and as they head to the Bulldog Invitational this week, Mississippi State's not very good. They're not really even receiving top 25 consideration. Southeast Louisiana, Omaha, two teams that are not very good. I think what Patty Gasso just wants is consistency out of that lineup, and, and that'll be the next thing because they obviously get up for the big games, and they, they've already shown they embarrassed UCLA. They hit five home runs in the fourth inning against Kentucky. There are teams that still haven't hit five home runs yet across college softball. There are a lot of those teams, so talents there they're just trying to find that base level consistency week to week wrapping up with some baseball i told everyone to show some patience they started two and four and the sky was falling and they've now won six of seven uh team is good they are mashing right now the offense got off to a really slow start but they've uh turned that around big time easton carmichael this freshman catcher i'm not gonna say he has replaced Jimmy Crooks yet because Jimmy Crooks was really good offensively and defensively and massaging the pitching staff and all that. He's everything you wanted in a catcher, but Easton Carmichael is a stud. Uh, he is absolutely smacking the ball right now. They're hitting, they're playing defense. Pitching had a little bit of a, the last few games haven't been as good at the start, but they're doing well enough. Bullpen's been a little better. And when you're hitting the way they are, it, it you know, they make up for it basically. Um, they were down 6-1 yesterday to UNLV. And they came back and won. And it never felt like they were out of the game. They really didn't. The way that they have been hitting and scoring runs, Kendall Pettis has started to get it going. And you're starting to see that who of what you and I saw so much in Omaha, which is dropping a bunt, stealing bases, taking the extra bag. They're getting, they're doing a lot of that right now. And uh, they're playing really well. And they have a confidence and a swagger to them that's fun to watch. And uh, Jackson Nicholas, we talked to him yesterday after the game. He basically was saying, you know, this year's team is a new identity. You know, we're not trying to just be last year's team. But there are, he admitted, like there are some some similarities in the way that they play and that belief that they're never out of a game and things like that. So they're a lot of fun to watch. It's still really early. But, uh, yeah, they won six of seven, and they're playing really, really well right now. I think people are getting excited, and rightfully so. Josh, I think you made reference to this last week, that the guys who were returning from their freshman season – we're not producing offensively. I think Jackson Nicholas going into last weekend was hitting about 240. Uh, Wallace mm, Clark right now is hitting about 216. And then uh, John Spikerman's hitting 157. But those two games that I monitored for you last week, it was uh, it was Spikerman and it was Nicholas who turned one had uh, two home runs and five RBIs, and the other one had uh, you know some late late inning hits. Uh, Spikerman with with a couple of RBIs in big situations. So. You like that? I mean, you you anticipate that there's going to be a sophomore slump. That's just a natural progression. That not everybody has to do it. Everybody doesn't have no. to go through it. But it, it's very, very, very common for a freshman who was shown the way by a lot of seniors, a lot of forceful leaders like that team had last year. Those guys move on. Those freshmen step up into now leadership roles for these younger guys. It's not always smooth. In fact, it's very seldom smooth. And I think that's what some of these guys were going through. They're starting to kind of round into shape now, as you said, offensively. They're currently yeah. in a situation where they're raking. Uh, Easton Carmichael, 391 batting average. 
his slugging percentage is 1064. Uh, Anthony McKenzie's at 431. His slugging percentage is 1065. Carmichael's got two of their <laughs> yeah. uh, five triples and two of their nine home runs. So he is he is absolutely off to an absolutely fire start. Yes, he he's smacking the ball. Yeah, that'll do. That'll do. It feels like almost the inverse of like softball, where you're like, okay, you felt like the offense was going to come online. And it was just a matter of you have new arms that, that you're having to work through. And we know as the year goes on, Skip Johnson, the work that he does, they'll get that sorted. It just feels like the pitching staff's looking for that consistency from outing to outing because they, they looked really good in some of those games down there in the showcase where they picked up a couple of big wins. And, and then the, there was you know, one or two where like the Mississippi State game, just a lot of runs on the board both ways. And, and so that's that thing of as the season goes on, there's one area that you're like, that's going to get dramatically better. It's what Skip Johnson does with his pitching staff as, as the year presses on. Yeah, playing well. Jackson Nicholas, four for four on Tuesday. So he, he's he's turned the corner. He had a hit yesterday, too. Um, they're playing well. Good stuff. And they have a big uh, series with Houston coming up. Future Big 12 foe, Houston, uh, this weekend. Uh, Houston's not great. Uh, they're off to a bit of a slow start. It's still really early in the season, so I'm hesitant to say anybody's not good or anything. But bit of a slow start for them so good chance for Oklahoma to keep it rolling I think and uh Big 12 play actually starts next week starts a week early this year for OU they drew the uh there's nine teams in the Big 12 so obviously there's an open week and so some teams start a little early and uh that's OU this year they play TCU next weekend so schedule's gonna ramp up soon Big 12 is a good baseball conference so we'll find out more about how they go but they're playing really well right now and uh, excited to see what they do here coming up any last things I got nothing we covered it all. <laughs> you kidding me? We, we, we hit it all. We all. Today. Uh, women's gym had a good showing against Florida and then dropped one to Michigan. But yeah, I didn't know that was possible. Yeah. F- feel like they'll be, if anything, that just levels up KJ Kindler and what she does with that program. So uh, I, I assume it's one of those situations. We hear this a lot from Patty Gasso where she's like, you don't want to lose, but losses aren't the end of the world. And uh, I would imagine that, Coach Kindler will have that uh, program firing here as they get closer and closer and closer to postseason. I'm starting a website, hoopsformacaslin.com. Hashtag hoopsformacaslin. If you go to McCasland, you almost have to find a way to get Grant McCaslin. No, no, you, Josh, you sure don't. You sure don't. Do not, <laughs> do not put that out there. Isn't it like someone shorter, who, though, if you like the, it's about like ten feet short, like it's eighty four instead of ninety four feet. It might make him play a little faster if you're. Nope. Yeah. Please don't put that in either. Please. Text and text. Please hire that man. <laughs> Thank God it's over. It was a rough <laughs> season. We're glad. We are happy to turn the page. Do not, not accept any invites to the CBI. No. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. I think Josh is just happy he no longer has to deal with my overly chipper personality every time I step foot in the Lloyd Noble Center because I was a joy to be around going into those uh, <laughs> late-stage Big 12 games. For those curious, the CBI, 16 teams, the entire thing is played in Daytona, Florida. So there will not be more games in the Lloyd Noble I've Center. I've had my fill of Florida Thank for 2023. Yeah, I, I too am good. I too am good. We're done. All right, that's it for us. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, appreciate Hooven Ryan accommodating me, moving the show over a day. Um, we'll be back next Wednesday at normal time. Our final pre-spring football show. Less than two weeks till spring camp starts, if you can believe that. So uh, we'll be talking spring football, of course, coming up. All the latest from football. And then 
What does women's hoops do? Diamond sports, all that good stuff. Next week, right back here on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon able device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. You can watch all the shows as well on Who's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it. For Ryan Chapman and John Hoover, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.